Hello, hello, and welcome to Sports on the Rocks with Ken Larimer. Today's episode, October 3rd, 2023, I'm your host, Ken Larimer. And no, we don't have a blender. We're all out of mint and the espresso machine on the fritz. So all I'll be serving you is a big glass of what is happening around the sports world. On today's episode, why does Monday Night Football hate us? Sunday morning in Andy's box room. My NFL Week 4 no-cap recap. It's Dame time, Milwaukee. Ronald Acuna Jr.'s kids steal the show. And of course, last call. But first, oh yeah, the MLB playoffs are here. They snuck up on us this year. feel like football's in full swing at this point. And I look up, and the Major League Baseball season, regular season, is over. Season went by in a flash, in part, because this is a first full season with the pitch clock. The pitch clock, for those unfamiliar, is a 15-second clock with bases empty and 20-second clock with runners on base. Kind of sped up the game a little bit this year. Just a little bit. Game time down to an average of 2 hours and 40 minutes for the first time since 1985. Down 24 minutes from last year, 2022. At its peak, it was 3 hours and 10 minutes in 2021. But that was also before Pitchcom was introduced. Pitchcom is that little walkie-talkie that the catcher and pitcher has. Pitcher has it in his uh, ear-slash-hat. Catcher usually has it on his leg where he can send the signs to the pitcher without uh, putting the actual signs down with his fingers. Um, Was introduced in part to speed up the game, but also to negate sign stealing. Once Pitchcom was introduced... Games dropped to three hours and four minutes last season, but it was truly the pitch clock that knocked out almost 30 minutes. Um, Only nine three-and-a-half-hour games occurred this season, uh, which is down from 390 in 2021. So very clearly a good decision for the fans and the players. Carlos Correa, twin shortstop, did have something positive to say about the pitch clock. It took some getting used to, but once you get used to it, the game's a lot faster. There's not wasted time. The pace was great, so I think it's here to stay. Now, of course, the pitcher's not the biggest fan of being told when to pitch and what to do. Zach Wheeler, the Phillies ace, not as big a fan. There are bigger moments, bigger times where we need to step back and think about something we just did or think about something we're going to be doing pitch-wise or swing-wise. I'm not a big fan of the pitch clock, but it is what it is. That's correct, Zach Wheeler. It is what it is. Speeds up the game. I'm a big fan. I went to quite a few Yankees games this season, and I was in and out. Not that I, I am not there for the experience, but... I definitely don't want to sit at a baseball game for three hours. I went to a baseball game once, and it went to like 16 innings. It was like a five-hour experience. I don't need a five-hour baseball game. And on the other side, I've been to a nine-inning game that also went like four hours. It doesn't need to last that long. 
both Carlos Correa and Zach Wheeler, representing the Twins and the Phillies, are headed to the playoffs. Which brings me to the wild card matchups. Kind of slipping under the radar. Their best of three series this year. They're happening Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. It's hard to imagine anybody watching the 3 p.m. games on a Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday when people are at work. I'm watching the games. I'm available at those hours. I am an alien. Not everybody can watch those games at those times. The matchups from the American League, Orioles and the Astros snagged the first-round buys. Blue Jays at the Twins. They play Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. All these teams, by the way, they, it's what I do like about the wild card matchups. They're finishing this in three days. There's no travel. They're going one, two, three at home for the a team with the better record. So Blue Jays at the Twins, Rangers at the Rays. Then the National League, we go Braves-Dodgers first-round buys. They deserve it. I think the World Series champion will come out of those two. Diamondbacks at Brewers. Marlins at Phillies. Really rooting on the Marlins. Was a fan growing up. They're a fun young team. Sad to see Sandy Alcantara not going to be playing in this one because he's hurt. They run him too hard. Then, continuing on in the MLB playoffs, the division series will be a best of five. It starts Saturday, so we're rolling right into it. The American League will be the Rangers of the Rays playing at the Orioles. The Blue Jays or the Twins playing at the Astros. National League, Phillies or Marlins playing at the Braves. Diamonds at the Brewers playing at the Dodgers. Betting odds, if you're a betting man or a lady. Braves plus 260, huge favorites. Astros plus 460. Dodgers plus 470. Orioles, good value, 7-1. to one. My predictions... I'm hoping to see the Marlins make a run with the fun young team. I also would love to see the Orioles make a run, especially after a 52 and 110 season just two short seasons ago. But really? Hammer the Braves. Pitching is solid. Strider, Morton, Freed, Elder. Strider should probably get a Cy Young nod, but I think it'll probably go to Blake Snell. However, Morton Freed on 15-day ILs leading into the playoffs, both with finger issues, don't know if you know anything about pitching, using their fingers a lot. Big finger guys. But the Braves hitting is insane. Acuna having a historic year, 337. We'll talk about it later in this podcast. Acuna breaking records, both with his bat and on the bases. Matt Olson, 54 home runs. And 104 and 58 record. That's enough for me to believe the Braves have a real chance at winning this year's World Series. Spencer Schreider, as I said, also having an insane year but does have some worrisome comments. Maybe spoken in jest, but interviewed by MLB Fitz on Instagram, he has this to say about not wanting to pitch in front of fans. Absolutely, there should be no fans. 
2020 season, no fans. Get rid of the fans. It's too loud. Too loud? It's too okay. loud. Everybody be quiet. We don't, we don't need the, the cheering. We know you're watching. Wow. I don't need the fans. Uh, you, you stay outside the stadium. You, I mean, back it up. <laughs> Let's do like a no lower bowl thing. No lower you know, bowl? Okay. Just kind of, you know, yeah, yeah, upper deck's like great. Upper deck's great. Outfield, phenomenal. Well, we don't, we don't we, need you around the dugouts. Right. Just, just try and be quiet. Now, I do think he was trying to be funny. But, of course, the media running with that and saying Spencer Strider doesn't have what it takes. I think he'll probably pitch like an ace and be responsible for the win in every game that he pitches in this postseason. And will probably, you heard it here first, be a World Series champion this season. But that's enough of baseball. We'll talk more about it on the next show as we progress. But we're moving on. Why does Monday Night Football hate us? Seahawks at the Giants. Seahawks minus one and a half, over under 47 and a half. Final score, 24 Seahawks, Giants three. Another boring one. There was some fun stuff happening in the game, though. Not so fun. Injuries. Never-ending injuries. I feel like every game we're watching now, I don't know if it's the turf or... They're just playing at such a high speed, or they're just so strong. Jamal Adams goes to make a tackle his first game back from injury from last season. Hits his head on somebody's knee trying to make a tackle. They take him out of the game. Concussion protocol. Jamal Adams not happy about being taken out of the game. For his own good, concussion protocol and such. But seen here in this footage from the sideline, yelling at the doctor, telling him he can't go back in the game. For those listening to the podcast and not watching on YouTube, Sports on the Rocks with Ken Larimer, if you're listening to the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, I had a bad lip reading and it, Jamal Adams is saying to the doctor, come on, I don't have a damn concussion. Y'all need to let me get back on the hockey rink right now. Hmm. Another injury, Geno Smith gets rolled up on going out of bounds, and we get a Drew Lock cameo. Love a Drew Lock cameo. Post-game, Lisa Salters of ESPN asks, Geno, what happened? Geno Smith said, and I quote, a dirty play. Dirty play. You guys could see it. It was a dirty play. There's no place in the sport for that, and you know, hopefully something happens. But other than that, the grace of God allowed me to come back into this game. We're all battling, but no need to take shots at guys running out of bounds on the sideline. Now, watching this live, it didn't look like a dirty play. I understand he thinks it's a dirty play. These out-of-bound plays are so tough. The game is so fast. These guys are trying to make a play. If he doesn't make the play and he gets past him, they go, why didn't he, make a, why didn't he get in there and tackle him? So he's running out of bounds. He grabs him, and he's not like he's pulling him down. It's just the, the motion is continuing. And he gets rolled up on. The defender rolls up on his ankles. He falls to the ground. Doesn't even look that bad. I'm sure it hurt. But Geno Smith not happy. Thinks it's dirty. I don't think it's dirty. I think it's football. But so be it. I'm not a football player. He is. Maybe he's right. On the other side of the ball, Daniel Jones. Shit in the bed. Four years, $160 million extension in this offseason. Two fumbles, two interceptions, 
one of those interceptions, a pick six at Seattle's five-yard line. So a bat to score a touchdown goes the other way to 95 yards. Kenneth Walker the third, however. Kenneth! I'm proud of you, Kenneth. You did it again. Kenneth does it again. I released on Twitter, at SportsOTRocks. I released a little same-game parlay, but those individual picks as well, you should be betting. Why? Well, I'm about to tell you why. Kenneth Walker III, I'm proud of you. 17 carries, 79 yards, gets in for a touchdown. Live tweeting the game, I write, Kenneth, do it. Next play, gets it in. Not saying it was me. Not saying it wasn't me. The Giants, of course, without Saquon Barkley in this game. Still still dealing with injury. But overall, just bad game. Monday night football has been bad. I love Monday night football, though. Who doesn't love football on Monday? But just bad game. Not exciting. Overall, this Monday night football, Seahawks at the Giants, was just a bad game. But don't worry. Next week, we get the Packers at the Raiders. But enough of that. Time for my NFL Week 4 no-cap recap. Starting off, Falcons at the Jags. Football for breakfast? 9.30 a.m. start. Are we at the Jags? Kind of. We're at the London Jags, because this game's in Wembley Stadium. In London, England. Across the pond. Jags were minus 3. Over-under was 43. Final score? Jags 23. Falcons 7. Love the Jags, minus three in this one. Love the under. Moneyline favorites, 19, 10, and 1, 65% playing in London. Total and spread historically, doesn't matter, 50%. Coin flip. Flip a coin, you would have won half the time. Really cool, ESPN doing a Toy Story crossover. So to prep for this game, I listened to... uh, I listened to the announcers talk about how they they fitted them for uh, those little dot suits, spandex dot suits, and they actually, uh, and they actually animated them sitting at the desk. They animated the entire field. Now they didn't make the actual players Toy Story characters. The Toy Story characters were kind of around um, different elements of the game, which was really cool, like the claw drop the football. Uh, Slinky Dog was the uh, the chain gang, uh, and it was pretty cute. Like when they had a penalty, Slinky Dog like half of the Slinky moved backwards. Uh, it was pretty cute. Um, not the best experience if you're a football fan. You miss some of the plays. Um, in the beginning, they were trying to figure it out, so you just didn't really see any of the plays live. It was like they put the ball down, and it just ran, it ran away. It wasn't part of the animation. It they just couldn't figure it out. But once they got it figured out, it was like watching a, a video game. I'm sure kids loved it. Parents that are football fans with kids loved it. I tuned in for a little bit. It was cute. I'd rather watch the regular broadcast. They don't do it all the time. It's worth watching a few minutes of. And then get back to the game. Saheed Khan, owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars, also owns the English soccer team Fulham. So it seems like a natural transition for the Jaguars to kind of move to London. I don't think that's the plan now is to completely move them to London, but they seem to be getting the bulk of these London games. Um, And maybe, 
building building a fan base. I've never been to London. Maybe you go and they're all big Trevor Lawrence fans. Trevor Lawrence kind of looks British. Maybe it's just me. If not for two pick sixes by uh, Desmond Ritter on the Falcon side, though, this game would have been closer. 23-7. The Jags Z pretty much picked on Ritter the whole game. Bijan Robinson, still the real deal, putting up 14 carries, 105 yards against a looks like tough Jaguars D, especially after uh, holding the Chiefs to 17 just a few weeks ago. Um, holding the holding the Falcons to seven. Couldn't contain the run. Bijan's a beast. Um, however, the Jaguars' offense is worrisome, even in a win. Calvin Ridley, only offensive player getting in for a touchdown. The other points, three field goals, and one interception pick six. So 23 points looks like, you know, the offense had a day. Not so much. Trevor Lawrence doing just enough. 23-30, 207 yards and a touchdown, zero interceptions. That'll win you a game. Uh, O-line only allowing two sacks. ETN still not getting it going. 20 carries, 55 yards. Still not sure about the Falcons. Still not sure about the Jags. Out of the two of them, the Jags are probably closer to the postseason. The Falcons' young team will probably digress the offense seems like they're having a really tough time, and the defense really can't stop anybody. Moving on, Dolphins at the Bills. I might have rushed to judgment on the Bills. I'll be honest. Bills 48, Dolphins 20. Bills minus three over and under 53 and a half. Dolphin fan, I am. I love the Bills in this one. It's a game that the Dolphins historically will lose, coming off a giant 50-point victory. The over was guaranteed. When these two teams play, they sling it. They sling it. Bills was minus three. It went to two and a half pregame. So even if you thought it was going to be close, Bills at home, two and a half is like, give me all the two and a half. I I will take the Bills minus two and a half at home against anybody, even the Dolphins as a fan. The Dolphins, though, almost 100 yards of penalties which ends up being kind of the difference in this game. It's very close. The Dolphins also having a tough time tackling throughout the game. They even have this play at the end of the second quarter where where Diggs runs a great route, stops on a dime, catches the ball. Two defenders right there to tackle him. Loses both defensive backs. Loses both defensive backs. 55-yard touchdown. Unreal. It was unreal live. Dolphins, I for the last few years... You know, as strong as the defense has been, nobody can tackle sometimes. They take a day where they're like, I don't really want to tackle. Taking a tackle off. Mostert, eh, coming back down to earth. Had a tough time holding on to the ball. Two fumbles. I think only one lost fumble, though. But it counts. The ball is falling out of his hands twice. He had a case of the fumbles last year, too. And he, he fumbled a lot in San Fran. Part of the reason they were okay getting rid of him and adding CMC. Buffalo D, Buffalo defensive line, bringing the pressure, bringing it often, not giving two opportunities to look downfield, and it shows in the box score. Tyreek, only 58 yards, three receptions. Waddle back from concussion, four receptions, 46 yards. Braxton Berrios leading the pack with six receptions, however, only 43 yards. Braxton getting in for a touchdown, 
Love to see it. Devon Achan, however, separating himself from Raheem Mostert. Another game, eight carries, 101 yards, breaking one for 55. Two touchdowns. Two touchdowns. I don't care how you say his name. His jersey might be added to the to the Hall of Fame very soon. My Hall of Fame, not the real Hall of Fame. Stefan Diggs, like I said, breaking tackles, having a game, six receptions, 121 yards, seven targets. So really, everything that touches his hands, he's catching. Dolphins holding the rushing game, nobody over 35 yards. Love to see that. Josh Allen, 21 to 25, 320 yards and four touchdowns. That'll do it, zero interceptions. But the game was kind of close, and then it wasn't. But as I said before, I'm a Dolphin fan. Knew the Bills were winning this game. Was not surprised. What I was surprised at was Broncos at Bears. We'll call this one Battle of the Defeated. Both teams 0-3 going into this matchup. Bears plus 3.5 at home. Hmm. Over and under 46. Hmm. Broncos 31, Bears 28. Was guaranteed to be a high-scoring affair with how bad these two teams have played defensively, right? Right? The final score, however, not telling the whole story. Bears have a 28-7 lead with seconds left in the third quarter. You're going, they're winning this game finally. Good for them. Broncos score 28-14 into the third. Uh Uh-oh. Then, complete collapse. Looks like a practice for the Broncos. An exhibition, the way they were just slinging. Fields loses a silly fumble on a pressure. Pick six. Ties the game. Fourth and one, under three minutes in the fourth quarter. Bears go for it. I guess you're having a rough season. Why not? However, if they kick the field goal, they're up three with only a few minutes left in the fourth quarter. But they go for it. I guess the idea is you go for it, you get it, you win the game, but you kick the field goal, you stop them on defense, you also win the game. Tough game for the Bears. Tough loss for the Bears. In a game where both teams combine almost 800 yards, the Bears control the running game, 171 to 97. Getting killed with penalties, however. The team is a wreck. 10 penalties, 91 yards. Russell Wilson? Danger. 21 of 28, 223 yards, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. The O-line only letting him take one sack. He's been on his back the whole season. But you know what? When you play the Bears, you have a game. The Bears heading into this game, of course, not without controversy. Chase Claypool asked on Friday, if he feels the Bears are utilizing his talents appropriately. The video, I tried to get it to show you. It looks like it's been scrubbed from the internet. I didn't snag it quick enough. I'm sorry. I'll be better. But they ask him this question. Do you feel like your skills are being utilized? He pauses for seven seconds. It looks like he's deciding what to say. And then he very genuinely says... Now, uh-oh. When the following up question infers his situation with the Bears hasn't been ideal, he gives a little, he gives an extended answer. 
No, I wouldn't say that. I think every situation has the ability to be ideal, and I think we're just working towards that. I'm not going to say that. I wouldn't say it's not an ideal place for me. Obviously, there's other places. You can say, oh, I want to be on the best offense with the highest passing yards, but that doesn't happen in football. You just have to make do with what you got. Those comments are going to rub somebody the wrong way. And they did, because Claypool ended up being a healthy scratch from Sunday's game. Head coach Matt Eberflus commented to reporters that Claypool's comments did not factor into him being inactive and that the wide receiver did not know on Friday afternoon when he gave the comments after practice that he was going to be a healthy scratch. Now, it doesn't add up, and reporters know that, and the Bears PR team knows that because it later comes out on Saturday after Eberflus's comments about Claypool's comments, 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 that Eberflus and GM Ryan Poles called Claypool to inform the receiver that he would be inactive for the Bears' Week 4 game. That's after the Claypool comments, and that's before he didn't show up for the Sunday game. Now, when reporters asked Eberflus post-game on Sunday why Claypool was not on the field with the team, and if his comments Friday had anything to do with it, Eberflus said they gave Claypool the choice to come to the game or stay home. However, again, the Bears PR team was like, that's not true. You can't say that. The Bears retracted that and explaining that they actually asked Claypool not to attend the game. Why? Probably because they're trying to shop him around. He's not happy. They're not happy with him being not happy. Now they traded the first pick of the second round, the 32nd pick in last year's NFL draft for him. And he has not lived up to that trade. And I think they're about ready to get rid of him. And I think there's some teams that would be interested, even with everything surrounding Claypool right now. To end this game on a positive note, we get this video from Grant H. Paulson on Twitter of Colt Komet scoring a touchdown and celebrating. Now, if you're listening to the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, the video included Cole Komet scoring the touchdown, pretending he has a bat, what looks like either staff or just somebody random on the field pretends to throw an invisible ball. He pretends to hit it all very quickly, by the way. And then the guy next to the guy who pretended to throw the ball pretends to invisibly catch it against the wall. Something fun. And you need stuff like that in a loss and an 0-4 season because there isn't much else that's great to talk about. And you feel for Justin Fields. They just, it's not the right situation for him. Um, And it just goes to prove rookie quarterbacks, really, if they don't have a good situation to thrive in, they don't succeed. And I hope for Justin Fields' sake that he goes to a team that will facilitate his success or the Bears make something happen. Change it up. Fire the coach. Get rid of the GM. Do something. But the first step, I guess, is going to be getting rid of Chase Claypool. Next up, Ravens at Browns. Where's Watson? Ravens 28, Browns 3. Browns minus 2.5, over and under 42. Before this matchup, linebacker for the Ravens, Roquan Smith, had this to say in anticipation. 
you go in there as the, as the enemy to go take over, and that's our plan uh, to actually go take over. I think they call it the dog pound. I consider myself a dog, so I'm right at home in that place. So I'm excited to get back in there. And I know they're a physical football team, but so are we. Honestly, I love it. You know, I love a challenge. You know, at the end of the day, you know, I love looking facing, looking something square in the face and saying, bring it on, bring it on, whatever it is, you know, chin up, chest out. You know, I, I live by that, sunsets, no regrets. So I'm looking forward to it, and I can't wait. You're considered a bad guy because you're going into essentially another man's house and you're trying to take over, like his wife, kids, everyone there to watch them. So you're going over to beat their tails in front of their wife and kids. So when you think about it from that perspective, like any man's going to, you know, fight to the death at that point. I know if that's me in that case, I know I would. So uh, I think about it from that standpoint, and I'm just going in, you know, just like I prepare for any other game, play to the whistle, play physical, and hit anything that move. Tough comments from a tough man. Another tough look, David Njoku walks into the game for the Cleveland Browns, burnt his face during the week, and walks into the game wearing this crazy mask. And if you're listening to the podcast, I'll post the video onto my Twitter, at SportsOTRocks, and I post a whole thread of all the videos that you can't see on the audio podcast. And if you're watching the podcast on YouTube, here it is. Njoku is a scary dude wearing a scary mask, but not the scariest part of this Browns game. The scariest part is how bad the Browns are without Deshaun Watson. Starting in his place in this game, Dorian Thompson-Robinson, DTR. He's the Browns' fifth-round draft pick from this past draft. Out of UCLA. I don't know much about him, but I do know that in this game, he threw three interceptions, had a tough day. Browns head coach Kevin Stefanski had comments about Watson's absence after the game. Let's take a look. He said yesterday, pretty much it was his call. So he was medically cleared to play. If he would have said, I'm good, he would have played. Yeah. Yes. And, and, you know, let me uh, say this, Tony. I mean, he knows his body. He's played through serious pain before, very, very serious injuries. Um, it wasn't a matter of pain tolerance or anything. He just did not feel like he had his full faculties. Yeah, Kevin, just to follow up on that real quick, um, you guys dealt with a similar situation with Baker, and I realize they're independent, but as far as you know, the players saying, I'm, I'm okay, and, and typically players always going up, leading up to a game, say they want to play. Did you have any indications during that practice week, aside from him not being able to throw a lot, that there was a potential he would not be able to go? Because it seemed like Saturday night, the word coming from the team was, you guys were really, really confident Deshaun was starting. Well, we listed him as questionable. You know, he didn't throw all week, and we had to get to the game, and that was the first time he's going to throw to see ultimately how he felt, if he felt like he, you know, could drive a throw, those type of things. Um, so he was he was confident uh, in, it, in it. Like I told you guys, uh, he's disappointed. Um, but I wouldn't make it any more than that. The Browns had a long game. Long story short, their play summary, punt, interception, field goal, punt, 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 interception, punt, interception. Long day for the Browns. Long day for Cleveland fans. I didn't watch much of this game personally, and for good reason. It was a terrible game. Next up, Another matchup with some QB problems. Bengals at Titans. 
Leave Burrow alone. Titans plus two and a half. Over and under was 41. Titans win this game 27 to three. Now the Titans, we now know, are live home dogs. 2-0 at home, 0-2 away. Something about that Nashville air gets, uh, you know, Derrick Henry rushing for over 100 yards and trucking people over. 22 carries, 122 yards, and a touchdown. Joe Burrow, though. Defenses know Burrow is struggling with mobility. He's not moving left to right. We're used to him being able to scramble, hitting Jamar Chase downfield, hitting T. Higgins downfield, hitting Tyler Boyd downfield. They're getting pressure on him. We're almost a chase watch again. Jamar Chase, a few of these games where he's not getting looks, and in this game, he only ends up with with nine targets, seven receptions, 73 yards. So he still kind of gets his he still got gets his cake. But they're not winning these games, and they're not in these games at all. And I'm it's still waiting. I'm waiting for the Bengals to start it up. I'm waiting for it to happen, and it may not happen this year. Joe Burrow does not look like he's going to get healthy. He does not look like they're going to give him time to get healthy. The time to win is now for them, and it's going to be a long season for Bengals fans. It's going to be a long season for the Bengals. This was a game, though, Titans plus two and a half at home against a Bengals team that hasn't proved anything this year with a hurt Burrow. I love the Titans. I was all about the Titans. I was all about Derrick Henry to score a touchdown. Because if they win, Derrick Henry's having a game. If you think the Titans are going to win any game that you're betting on, take Derrick Henry for a touchdown and take Derrick Henry over 100 plus yards. That is the Titans' same game parlay for the season. They're getting points at home. Add Derrick Henry over 100 yards. Add touchdown. Print money. You're welcome. Rams at Colts. Puka Puka. Gotta catch them all. Yeah. Rams plus one and a half. Over and under 46 and a half. The Rams win this one 29 to 23 in overtime. It's an exciting game. If you told me pregame, Rams-Colts going to be a great game. And Puka Puka, Puka Nakua, is the future of football. I would have said... Get the fuck out of here. Who are you? Why are you talking to me? The Rams lead this one 20-0 at the half, though. Colts possessions in that first half when they're down 20 to nothing. Punt. Richardson, back from concussion. I'm happy for him. Fumble. Punt. And then a missed field goal. Hmm. Now, I will say the Colts might be okay with Anthony Richardson if he can stay healthy. But if we know running quarterbacks, he will not. And that's not wishing harm on him. I hope he stays healthy. I hope he has a long season. Running quarterbacks do not last in the NFL. And if they do, they stop running. And they sit in the pocket. Second half in this game, after being down 20-0, to the Colts tie this game 23-23. Now on this comeback, Anthony Richardson has stats on four drives that are awesome. He accounts for all three touchdowns, and both two-point conversions go 7 for 13, 153 passing yards. Colts center Wesley French has this to say post-game. When we get in that groove, we get in that rhythm. We're unstoppable. We've got to find that rhythm and get in it earlier. Now this game, of course, goes to OT 
after being tied 23-23. Rams get the ball first. Stafford leads an eight-play, 75-yard drive, ending with Puka Nakua's first touchdown of the season. Nakua in this game, historic. Ten targets, nine catches, 163 yards. The game-winning touchdown, of course. Puka Nakua on the year, 39 receptions, 501 yards, which is most in the first four games by a rookie in NFL history, previously held by Anquan Bolden, who only had 30 receptions. Puka, over on a first-name basis, leads the league in receptions and is only second to Justin Jefferson in receiving yards. Jefferson, 543 yards. Puka, 501. Nakua and Jefferson, of course, chasing Megatron Calvin Johnson from the Detroit Lions, chasing his single-season yards record of 1,964 receiving yards. They are on track for well over that. Barring injury, we'll see what happens. But I'm rooting for them. I'm rooting for them both. I would love to see end of the year, they're both head-to-head, and, and whoever gets the most yards ends up holding that record. They're both fun to root for. Another wide receiver, fun to root for, Cooper Cup, still out with injury. McVay and the Rams are ready for Cooper Cup to get back so they can get the tandem. Cooper, Puka, running deep, running crosses, too much speed on the field. You can't cover them both. McVay has this to say about Cup's status and whether he'll play against the Eagles next week. He's doing a great job with the VP of Sports Medicine, Reggie Scott, and his group. But when you're talking about returning to performance and returning to play, those are different things. He went on to say, and we want him to be able to return to performance at the level that he's capable of. And so we're continuing to take it a day at a time. I know he's doing everything in his power to be able to get himself ready to go and get out with his teammates, and hopefully next week we'll represent that. I'm excited. Healthy Stafford, healthy Cooper Cup, young, explosive Puka Nakua, and the Rams looking frisky. Still have Aaron Donald, healthy Matt Stafford. The defense is playing well. The defensive line is playing well. The offense is explosive. I don't know if they catch the Niners for that division but maybe a wild card spot. I might have judged them too early. But also go into their games with caution. Another matchup you should have gone into with caution, Bucks at the Saints. I told you, this is the under game of the year, and boy, was I right. Bucks were plus three and a half, over under 40 and a half. Bucks 26, Saints nine. Derek Carr starting in this game. Over Jameis Winston, why? Jameis Winston completely healthy. Derek Carr coming off a week where his shoulder was slammed into the ground and he had to come out of the game. Opposite, though, Baker Mayfield looks like the dude. I'm happy for Baker. News released this week on the uh, the Baker, oh, Baker's great train, um, he took his offensive line to the Bahamas in the offseason, so it's like team camaraderie. They're saying the team loves him. They want to play for him. He genuinely is a good guy. Uh, I don't know who was saying he wasn't a good guy, but they're really trying to prove that he is. But the players seem to love him, and Chris Godwin expresses that with this comment that he gives to reporters. 
You see him making plays, scrambling, taking some big shots, popping back up. That's infectious for the team. It makes the offensive line want to block more. makes us want to run our routes a little bit harder and give him a chance because we know he's going to play as much as he can to give us a chance. Godwin, of course. Why would he have such high praise for him? Well, maybe because he's getting 11 targets, 8 receptions, and 114 yards in this game. I, uh, I bet he loves Baker. Huh? Bucks still shooting themselves in the foot, however, with penalties. 11 penalties, 91 yards, moving them back. They're playing the Saints, though, so there was no risk of that affecting this game. But mark my words, mark this podcast, the Bucks will lose a game because of penalties. They will play better. They will play better against a better team, and they will lose because they will have 100 yards in penalties. Hopefully they shore that up. Not that I'm a big Bucks fan, but I like to see Baker succeed. I also like to see Mike Evans succeed, even though Mike Evans, again, hamstring injury. Who would have thought? I'm happy for Baker, though. I've always liked him. My love for Baker goes back to his time in Oklahoma, and especially that moment when they beat Ohio State and he takes that Oklahoma flag and, boom, plants it right on the OSU logo. If you're watching the podcast on YouTube, here it is. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, I'll put it in that podcast thread that I post at Sports OT Rocks on Twitter. All the videos uh, and clips that I talk about on the show, I put in a long-ass long thread so you can watch it whenever you want, over and over and over again, too, if you so wish. Commanders at the Eagles. Eagles minus 8.5, over and under 43.5. Eagles, 34-31 to 31 in overtime. Closer than I thought, especially after Howell comes back from four interceptions last week and plays well against the Birds this week. 29-41, to 290 yards and a touchdown. He does take five sacks. You are prone to take five sacks when you're playing the Eagles' D. They lead 17-10 at the half. They're winning this game. Eagles fans are worried. Tush push who? Tush push what? Commanders end up being down a touchdown. Minute 36 left in the fourth quarter. Howell takes them on a game-tying drive. Six of nine, 71 yards. They score. Now, they line up for the extra point, kick the extra point, take it to overtime. If I'm the Commanders, and I'm a Commanders fan, you're truly really not playing for anything this year. I don't think you're winning the division over the Cowboys. Why are you not going for two and beating the Eagles and winning this game in regulation? You're in Philly. You weren't expected to win this game. The spread is eight and a half. You were leading, they came back. You are not winning this game in overtime. You go for two. Smart football play, you kick the extra point, you go into overtime. Me, you go for two. You lose, I feel like you were going to lose anyway in overtime. You win, it's a gutsy call. It gives you momentum going into the next game. You show belief in your quarterback. You show belief in your offense. I'm sure the defense doesn't care that they get to go home early cannot believe they didn't go for two and win this game in regulation. And it plays out in overtime exactly how I thought. Commanders get the ball first. Whoop-de-doo. Three plays. Punt. Eagles get the ball. Dominate down the field. 
kick a 54-yarder, game over, 34-31 Eagles. Now, in this game, though it was close, A.J. Brown ate. He ate. 13 targets, 9 receptions, 175 yards, 2 touchdowns. Defending him all game, rookie cornerback Emmanuel Forbes. Now, the broadcast went in on him live. He was clearly upset, visibly upset on the sidelines, to a point where uh, Twitter sleuths snapped pictures of him crying, actually crying, whether it was he was so upset with his play or he was so upset with the coverage or upset with his coaches for putting him in a position where he's one-on-one with A.J. Brown and getting burned for 175 yards and two touchdowns. Commanders fans in the internet talking about it online, running with it, jokes galore. Forbes actually deactivates his Twitter account post-game in response to all the hate. But A.J. Brown, good dude, has this to say about Forbes post-game. Man, they gave, they, they gave the young boy a lot of respect, man. They, he, he, was, he was following me, and uh, he started following me, and uh, it was like one-on-one most of the time, you know. So they gave him, they gave him a, a, you know, a lot of respect, you know, coming into the game. So, you know, I, 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 I so yeah. <laughs> Tough game for the Eagles. Tough win, gritty win. But you know what? When you're the Eagles and you're supposed to be a Super Bowl contender, these are the tough games you play. A team like the Commanders play up to the Eagles. Teams are going to play up. They're going to mark the Eagles on their calendar. They're going to say, we're beating the Eagles. We're going to show the world we belong. And the Eagles seem like they're just kind of biding time in their schedule until they get their gauntlet of a schedule, which is week 9 through 13. They're at home against the Cowboys. They go to Kansas City and play the Chiefs. They host the Bills. They host the Niners. And then they go to Dallas and play the Cowboys gauntlet of a five-game stretch. And I'm looking forward to those games. A game I wasn't looking forward to. Vikings at Panthers. The Vikings sound the war horn. Vikings minus four. Over and under was 45 and a half. The Vikings win this game 21 to 13. Opening drive, third and goal. Kirk throws the silliest interception for a pick six. Now, even though this game was close, Bryce Young went 25 of 32, 204 yards, but they never really had offensive momentum. Field goal, punt, punt, field goal in the first half after the pick six that Kirk Cousins threw. Then, punt, Bryce Young fumbles, they take it to the house for six, punt, punt, downs to end the game. Tough game for the Panthers. But if you're a Vikings fan, you're not happy with this win. You might be happy with the cover, but you're not happy with this win. Kirk Cousins, 12 of 19, 139 yards. He throws two touchdowns, both to Justin Jefferson, who has an okay game. Six receptions, 85 yards, targeted nine times. Alexander Madison, 19 carries, 95 yards. Doesn't get in the end zone, but the interceptions for Kirk Cousins, just silly decisions. Inside your own five, and he's throwing the double coverage. Doesn't see the, the defensive back just sitting there waiting, reading his eyes. The Vikings are 1-3, but they might as well be 0-4. The almost losing to a defeated team in the Carolina Panthers with a rookie quarterback. It's a loss. Getting picked off twice by an 0-3 team is a loss. The Panthers, however... 
rumored to be on the market for a wide receiver one. Wanting to add some talent to Adam Thielen, who's having a great year. Maybe on the docket, Arizona Cardinals' Hollywood Brown, rumored. Also rumored Cincinnati's T. Higgins. And maybe, depending on how the rest of the year goes, the Rams, Devontae Adams, the Broncos, Jerry Judy, or maybe even, who we just talked about, Chicago's Chase Claypool. The Vikings, though, coming out of this game with the win. Saving their season. Otherwise, Justin Jefferson might be on that list as well. Next up, Steelers at Texans. TJ, more like CJ. Steelers minus three, over and under 41 and a half. The Texans win this game. 30 to six. CJ Stroud is the future. 16 of 30, 306 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Still, Zero interceptions on the year. This is how you win games as a rookie in the NFL. You don't give the ball to the other team. You make smart decisions. It looks more and more like the Texans have their franchise quarterback. CJ, and I'm I'm now rooting for this kid. I'm a CJ Stroud fan. Had this to say to his fans postgame. Y'all deserve to feel special. Y'all deserve to root the Texans on. Not winning at home since 2021? That ain't flying with anybody in this building. I, I love that he, he's been in Texas for like under a year and he already picked up y'all. Just throwing in y'alls. Kind of reminds me of uh, you know, when Chip Kelly went to LSU and he said uh, he went out in the basketball court when they introduced him and he said, I'm excited to join the Tiger family. Like Chip Kelly's from the Northeast. All of a sudden has an accent. C.J. Stroud went to college in Ohio, a y'allless place. But big fan of C.J. Stroud. I'm honestly, I'm happy for the Texans. It's not fun to see teams uh, just have winless type seasons, you know? In an ideal NFL world, every team is equal and you get real competition. Offensive Rookie of the Year odds, C.J. Stroud, your leader at plus 175. Followed by Bijan Robinson plus 380, Puka Puka plus 450, Anthony Richardson plus 600, Devon H. Han 10 to 1. The last 10 winners of that rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year, three quarterbacks, four running backs, and three wide receivers. So it's anybody's game. CJ Stroud keeps this up, though. It's his trophy to lose. CJ Stroud partnering with another rookie in Nico Collins. His wide receiver with 22 receptions, 428 yards, and three touchdowns on the year. In this game, nine targets, seven receptions, 168 yards, and two touchdowns. I think his second game this season over 140 yards. Insane. Now, is that him or is that CJ? I like to think a little bit of both. Kenny Pickett, in the third quarter, however, sacked on fourth and one, stays on the ground holding his knee, doesn't look good, comes out of the game. We see video of him practicing this week. Does not look good. Giant knee brace. Kind of, I don't know what the Steelers have with this infatuation with with big guys who are not mobile. But he's he's starting to look more and more like Ben Roethlisberger, and, and he's a kid. There's something about Pittsburgh who makes the quarterback feel 
and look like Ben Roethlisberger. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's the water. But we do get a Trubisky sighting, a Matt Trubisky sighting. But Steelers know what he can do, and they just pretty much mostly run the ball for the rest of the game and get the hell out of there. Post game, Mike Tomlin, not happy about his team's performance, reflects that in his comments to the media. Let's take a listen. Hell yeah, we got to make some changes, man. Uh, that was that was that was an ugly product we put out there today, and so uh, we're not going to do the same things and and hope for a different outcome. What those changes are, man, we'll put together a plan uh, in preparation this week. A man of many words, Mike Tomlin. But what changes? I don't know. Disappointed with Najee's season? Uh, are they going to run the ball more? Because if they are, it's not going to go anywhere, as we've seen from Najee this year. Are they going to throw more? Well, the offensive line's not giving them much time to do that. I'm looking forward to see what changes Mike Tomlin is talking about. But again, this game was one of my three losses on the week. I thought the Steelers would be able to control the rookie quarterback, Stroud. I thought the Steelers would be able to contain Stroud. I thought T.J. Watt would have a bigger game. But holding him to zero sacks, maybe the Texans are good. I don't know. Losses to the Ravens and the Colts this year. Wins against the Jags and the Steelers. Their next five, Falcons, Saints, Panthers, Bucks, Bengals. Those are all winnable games. Are the Texans going to be 7-2? and two? I don't know. But I, I am a fan of C.J. Stroud, and I hope for his continued success. And I'm looking forward to these Mike Tomlin changes. We'll have to see this week. Those Tomlin comments are from Brooke Pryor, by the way, of ESPN. Moving on, Raiders at Chargers. Khalil Mack attack. Khalil Mack sets a franchise record six sacks. One short of the NFL record set by Derek Thomas in Kansas City in the 1990 season. Doing it against his former team. Even more exciting. Chargers minus five and a half in this one. The over-under was 48 and a half. Chargers win this one 24-17. You'd hope so with Khalil Mack sacking the quarterback six times. The quarterback, however, not Jimmy Garoppolo. Still in concussion protocol, out for this one. So Khalil Mack having a day against rookie Aiden O'Connell from Purdue. Sacked seven times total. Fumbles three times. Loses only two of them. Throws an interception. They forced this guy to throw the ball 39 times. Not a winning strategy. Not a winning strategy for a rookie quarterback. But when a defender has a historic day against you, typically not a great start. Still, head coach McDaniels has some good things to say about his performance. He'll be the first one to, you know, understand the things that he could do better. Um, You know, I mean, playing quarterback in our league starts with taking care of the football. And, uh, you know, whether that be hanging on to it in the pocket, you know, or, you know, making good decisions in the passing game. Um, you know, and also understanding the timing and that element of playing within the pocket in the NFL. You know, it's not it's not always the same week to week. You know, it depends on the rush, depends on what you who you're who you're dealing with and how they play. Um, and you know, the coverage structures force us to do some other things, and then you got to speed up your read a little bit and get to the outlet. And I thought he did better as the game wore on. I mean, dumped the ball down to JJ. I don't know how many times, but a number of times when they were trying to run out of there. So. 
I thought he adapted to the game a little bit as it went on. Um, you know, and we'll just we'll we'll take every opportunity to to learn from the mistakes that we made as a team, and I'm sure he will also as a quarterback and try to get better from it. And no one happier to have a fresh QB at the helm after dealing with the uh, never looked downfield Jimmy G than Devontae Adams. Devontae Adams, of course, rumors swirling whether he is going to be traded. He has comments where he says he's not happy. Him and Josh Jacobs are not happy. They want changes on the team. I don't blame him. The team is terrible right now. I would want changes too. But Devontae Adams has some good things to say about rookie QB Aiden O'Connell. And this via Jesse Merrick from News 3LV. He was ready, prepared, just like he always does. Always ready for for his opportunity. And, I mean, I feel, I feel like he did a good job. Um, you know, it's not easy stepping in there and, and uh, you know, on the, on the road, starting start in the middle with a lot of expectations. And, you know, obviously he performed well in preseason. So a lot of people expecting that same exact type of performance coming out, which is, you know, not realistic because, you know, preseason has a different uh, different brand of football than what the regular season is. So, you know, it's... it's uh, learning process, and I think he's only going to get better as we as we go. But uh, you know, we just got to do a good job of helping him out. You know, uh, up front, giving him time, and and just getting him comfortable. You know, the White House doing what they got to do to make sure he's getting in a groove and just keeping his mind in it. But uh, you know, for his first outing, it was obviously not the way he would have drawn it up. But uh, he did good in my eyes. Again, the Raiders coming out saying they're not fielding trade offers. And they have no interest in trading Josh Jacobs or Devontae Adams. But we do know, as that loss column continues to grow, so does their interest in shipping some of these guys out. But Josh Jacobs upset. Devontae Adams upset. I'm sure Aiden O'Connell's upset. The fans are upset. And they're so upset, they are fighting each other in the stands. Now, I have two videos of fights, and it's sad to see. I don't like seeing fights in the stands. It's actually a big uh, deterrent for Jets-Dolphin games in Miami because it's filled with fights every year. Not so much in New York because it's mostly New York fans, but in Miami, it's pretty much split Jets-Dolphins fans, and there's always fights. It's always a debacle. Don't want to be a part of that. Avoid that at all costs. But... These Raider fights videos continue to come out. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm about to play them back-to-back. If you're watching on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, again, I put all the videos I talk about or show in the podcast on a thread after I upload the show on Twitter, at SportsOTRocks. And if you go to it, throw me a follow, like the thread so more people can share it. Also, in addition to the videos, I'm not going to share this picture or the video but there was a video of a guy in, like, end zone seats, and the, his friend is taking a video of him, and he literally just takes out a Coke bag and, like, keys it and, like, goes, hey, hey, hey. And it's like there's a family in front of him. There's a family next to him. Like, fucking Raiders fans are wild. And if you remember years back, too, there was that the crazy fucking shooting between the Raiders and the, and the 49ers fans in the parking lot. There's always stabbings. Uh, at at the games, it's it's fucking wild, and I you know, obviously it's fighting is never the answer. Doing drugs in plain sight in front of families at the game, you should never do. But when your team is this bad, your brain starts to wander. You start thinking and doing things. You know, 
So maybe improve the team and people would stop fighting. Maybe that's the answer. Get a better team. People will stop fighting each other. But again, you're watching on YouTube. Here are those two videos. Wild. <sighs> well, Patriots and Cowboys. Mac Jones is a giver. The Cowboys were minus six and a half in this one, over under 43 and a half. Cowboys 38, Pats 3. And the score is a pretty telling sign of how boring this game was. This was supposed to be Zeke's big return to Dallas, but it offered no inspiration to the Pats offense. They played completely uninspired. Patriots possessions in this game. Field goal. Downs. Mac Jones fumble return for a touchdown. Punt. Mac Jones interception for a pick six. Punt. Interception. Punt, punt, punt. Missed field goal. Down 38-3. I don't know what, what that was. They were, going for, they, they were going for the over. That's the only answer. Maybe Belichick had the over. Who knows? Maybe Belichick had a friend who took the over. Only answer. It's 43 and a half. 38 to 3. It's 41 total points. They're kicking a field goal. Down 35 points. They missed it. So the under hits. And the Cowboys cover. Dak comments about the D just having a dominant game. Post game. Just to sit back and watch the defense do that. It's awesome. I'd love to get out there and throw it over and over and be back and forth, but I sit back and I cross my legs and I wait another five, six minutes. If they want to score, keep doing it. Now, what did make this game exciting was the defensive touchdowns. Dak Prescott, however, 28 of 34, 261 yards and a touchdown. Mac Jones, 12 of 21, 150 yards, two interceptions. Bailey Zappi coming in. Doing a little something, but they, I mean, we're learning more and more that Mac Jones is not the dude. I think the Patriots are about to be moving on from Mac Jones, but we shall see. Cowboys defense is for real. We've now seen them completely blow out and manhandle a few teams this year. This week, however, week five coming up, at the 49ers, probably their first real true test I'm truly excited for that game, especially after a performance like the Niners had this week, which we'll talk about right now. Cardinals at 49ers. Do-Re-Mi CMC is MVP. 49ers are minus 14 in this game. Big favorites. Over and under 44.5. Niners, no problem at all. 35-16. Brock Purdy, again, mistake-free ball. What you have to do when you have a Super Bowl-caliber defense, you have an MVP-caliber running back who is great out of the backfield, great with his hands, hurtling dudes, human highlight reel CMC. He has an 18-yard rush in this game where he straight up hurdles a dude for a touchdown. Guy dives, hurdles him. Looks like he never lost a step, not like the jump hurdle and then he catches himself. Like, in stride, hurdles the defender, runs it in for a touchdown. Has 20 carries, 106 yards, three touchdowns. Out of the backfield, seven receptions, 71 yards, and another touchdown. Four touchdowns on the day. He's a complete monster. CMC is like the uh, is my Devontae, was my Devontae Adams of today. 
CMC was a player you're like, please go to a winning team. Get off the Panthers. I want to see you win. That's exactly what happened. That's what I'm hoping happens for Devontae Adams. But again, Brock Purdy playing mistake-free ball, 20 of 21, 283 yards, one passing touchdown, one rushing touchdown. What more do you want? Especially after his injury from last year and coming back and, and literally just controlling these games, allowing his team to succeed. Love to see it. 49ers, Super Bowl odds plus 550. CMC offensive MVP plus 200. Maybe get it in now. Maybe the 49ers might quickly be becoming my Super Bowl pick. Now, obviously, the 49ers are a super, one of the Super Bowl favorites. Not a fun pick. But winning picks are not always fun. Just like this next winning pick, which was the Chiefs at the Jets. This spread was all over the place. The Jets were plus 9.5. Pre-game drops to 7.5. Over and under opened at 45. Drops to 41.5. Chiefs win this one 23-20. Now, the public loved the Chiefs, Now the, and the total opening at 45 drops drastically. Why? Since the start of last season, Jets games are 16 and 19 to the under. So the under is hitting 84% of the time. Lots of chatter coming into this game about Zach Wilson not being the guy, and of course, Taylor Swift. Both showing up in a big way Sunday night. Taylor setting up in the box again arriving with Wolverine, Deadpool, and Blake Lively. What a group. Zach Wilson having the game of his short career. Maybe playing it up for Taylor Swift. Zach Wilson, 28 of 39, 245 yards, two touchdowns. He added a couple rushes for 12 yards, making good game decisions until his late game muffed snap fumble recovered by the Chiefs, squandering their chances at a game-tying field goal or even possibly the lead at that point. But it does happen with plenty of time on the clock. The Jets actually get the ball back, and this is where it gets fun. Chiefs go on a game-ending drive, headlined by third and 23 scramble by Patrick Mahomes that a flag is thrown on. Now you assume, if you're watching the game, blatant hold by the Chiefs. The lineman, clearly he has his hands under the shoulder pads, the guy is doing that. Usually the sign of holding is the defender is flailing because he can't get loose. Hands under the shoulder pads. Pulling the jersey. Clearly pulling the jersey. End up calling it on the defense. Now, the defense did actually have holding. But the offense also had holding. So if it's called correctly, the penalties would have offset they would have picked up the flags and replayed third and 23, which would have been okay with the Jets, I'm sure. But we move forward. First down, moving on. We end up at third and 20 again. Patrick Mahomes throws an interception. Bad interception, too. Scrambling right. Throws it into double coverage just over his man. You see the ball. Jets intercept it. You go, oh, my God, the Jets are going to have another chance at winning this game or tying this game. Once the defender catches the ball, flag is thrown right there on the sideline. So the 
ref with the best look at the play, throws the ball, but after the ball is intercepted. Now, I'm going to show you the play. If you're watching on YouTube, you're going to get to see it now. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, I'm going to put it on Twitter, at SportsOTRock, so you can see it for yourself. But this is the play where Sauce Gardner is called for pass interference. Take a look. Now, despite what you think happened, whether you think it was pass interference or the hands were just caught in all the movement between Sauce and the receiver, Sauce did have this to say about the play after the game, giving us a little bit of insight in what he thought happened. Let's take a listen. The receiver ran into me. It was a collision. The same thing that was happening all game. Ain't throw no flags. Uh, Pat threw the ball outside of the receiver. MC was there. He made the play. Then the ref threw the flag. Like me personally, that's like when you play basketball and one on one, and you go up to lay the ball up, and you wait to see you miss, and then say foul. Like I was, I can't believe that. Like, that was that was just crazy. Cause like I don't even think they threw the ball my way at me first three quarters. Then they started throwing check downs and then a shot that they try to take that's not going. Then they finally get bailed out by that fourth quarter crunch time. Like, I mean, like that's, I don't even know what to say. Now, if that wasn't interesting enough, we get the two-minute warning and then a third and eight at the Jets' 11. So still a shot. Mahomes scrambles left. Has plenty of room to run it in for the touchdown. It looks like the Jets are going to lose this game. They're not getting the ball back. They're not holding him to a fourth down. And then he slides. And the game ends. Now he slides outside of the end zone in front of the first down marker. If you remember correctly, the spread is seven and a half, between seven and a half and nine and a half. He slides. The game ends. The Chiefs win by three. This game, if you got the total earlier in the week, went under. This game, if you got the spread at any point, the Jets cover. Now, if you go online, the everybody says the fix is in. How could he slide? We've seen this all too many times, though. If you're an NFL fan, if you're a football fan, if you're a gambling fan, I always bring up Todd Gurley. I always bring up Najee Harris, the anti-Todd Gurley. Patrick Mahomes, I mean, it's a smart football play. He slides, the clock rolls, they kneel the ball, the game is over. Chiefs betters online, very upset. How could he do that? But it is the right play at the end of the day. Not a fun play. You like to see him just run in. But the game ends on that play. Now, as the game ends, the broadcast shows Zach Wilson being consoled by teammates, including wide receiver Alan Lazard, And you could see Zach Wilson mouth, it's my fault, we lost the game, it's my fault. So taking responsibility, which is like the big thing, whenever a a quarterback makes a mistake or the team loses, all the analysts go, we want to see him take responsibility. He's the leader of the team, blah, 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 blah. So he's doing it now. Everybody, Everybody beat this kid up so much. The team, is. I mean, it's not his fault they scored 23 points. He played mistake-free football except for one fumble. 
But feels like that play cost him the game. But it is nice. His teammates have his back. It looks like he has the locker room. And when asked post game, Alan Lazard had this to say about the broadcast catching that moment. Yeah, Zach's just a uh, huge competitor, you know. Um, and after the game, he had spoke to the team, just saying I'm trying to take the blame for everything. And that's just the competitor in him and the leader that, that he is. And I was just consoling him, just saying, hey, we all made mistakes today. You weren't the only one. Obviously, that one, it it's highlighted more because it was, it was later in the game, a crucial time and everything. But, I mean, he played he played amazing today. He played a great job. He let us down the let us down the field multiple times, made big-time throws, um, put us in position to be successful, and, you know, he made some plays with his feet as well. So very, very proud of Zach. LeBron James even posting support on social media. Hell of a game, kid. You win as a team, and you lose as well as a team. One play doesn't define the whole game. Keep your head up high and keep pushing forward. If it was easy, everyone would do it. Now, I LeBron, of course has to make everything about him. But I, I do like LeBron. And I love him coming out and supporting young athletes. Now, not everybody was as supportive about Zach Wilson postgame. Making the rounds, an interview Rodney Harrison does with defensive tackle Chris Jones, live on set, where he seems to try and bait him into ripping Wilson down after one of the best games of his career. Was Zach better tonight than what you anticipated he would be watching him on tape? And you could be honest. Um, honestly, yeah. uh, if I'm being completely honest, we knew it was going to be a battle. He's continuing to get better week in and week out. And he's continued to lead week in and week out. But watching that tape, man, you got to look at this dude and say, oh, he is garbage. Like, we should we should really tear him apart sure. earlier. Like I said, Zach Wilson is special, man. You just got to give the guy time. You know what wait, I mean? Wait, 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 wait. Did you say Zach Wilson is special? Yeah. I think he had a special night, but I don't think he's special. I've got to prove that over a You're special because you proved it over a course of time. <laughs> he's not special. I'm just saying, Chris. Hey, listen. I'm just saying. I'm th- Haters are going to hate, 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 hate. But head coach Salah had this to say about the exchange between Harrison and Jones. Um, I heard about it, and from my understanding, uh, Rodney uh, uh, this morning handled everything the right way. Uh, Rodney's a good man, and uh, uh, whatever he's getting for um, for that is it's uh, water under the bridge. I think he's he, he's handled it exactly the way he's supposed to. Do you think Cooper, this is going to be a big week for uh, on Zach? You know, we, we heard Joe last week, and then Rodney and Cooper and people are piling on too much? Um. No, it, it it's um, it's part of the profession. Uh, fair, unfair. I, um, you know, it's not. It's not. Even though it feels personal, it's not personal. Uh, you can't take it personal. People are trying to eat too and trying to. Uh, um, uh, you know, it's. I, I we, we get it. You know, it's just part of the part of the business, part of the profession. So. I thought Salah's comments were even weirder than Rodney Harrison's comments. Salah's. Uh, notably a very fiery head coach on the field during all these terrible pass interference and holding calls. He uh, actually yelled so much at the ref, they threw a flag on him for unsportsmanlike conduct. And then Rodney Harrison attacks his supposedly franchise quarterback, who I will say Salah has stood up for continuously and never wavered with his decision to start him or Zach's uh, talents or abilities. 
And then Rodney Harrison blatantly attacks him live, and he's like, eh, Rodney's a good guy. So I feel like Salah maybe has a good relationship with Harrison, and he didn't want to kind of pile on. I feel like Harrison got enough flack from uh, the public in general. Um, but I, I would have liked to see Salah be like, yeah, it's fucked up. Like, Zach's playing his heart out out there. He doesn't need fucking uh, make-believe analysts talking shit. But he's a bigger man than me, both literally and figuratively. But that'll actually wrap up my Week 4 no-cap recap. It was a lot of fun. It was a better football week than last week. Last week, I felt down about football. A lot of blowouts. This week, I feel like we have some good young talent. Richardson from the Colts. We have C.J. Stroud from the Texans. I mean, even the Raiders throwing in a rookie quarterback, we might see something from him. Who knows? But a lot of good, exciting things happening this week. Good things to look forward to to week five. But this brings us to one of my favorite segments, A Little Chaser. It's Dame time, Milwaukee. Damian Lillard finally gets out of Portland and arrives in Milwaukee to a hero's welcome. If you're listening to the podcast, check out the video at SportsOTRocks on Twitter. If you're watching on YouTube, here it is. Big blockbuster trade happening uh, at the start of the baseball playoffs in the beginning of the football season, getting the NBA some attention, meat of this three-team trade, Portland, getting DeAndre Ayton, Drew Holiday, Drew Holiday later shipped to the Boston Celtics, and the Bucks' 2029 first-round pick, the Suns getting Grayson Allen, Keon Johnson, Nasir Little, and here we go, Yusuf Nurkic. Damn, the man's good. The biggest winner of this trade, however, not Damian Lillard. Tyler Hero. Tyler Hero Heat point guard, who is rumored to be one of the pieces offered from the Miami Heat in the trade that was supposed to happen, didn't happen. Everybody thought it was going to happen. But Tyler Hero tweeting in excitement, in all seriousness, as a kid from Milwaukee, I'm grabbing me a Dame jersey. And you better rock it with pride because that move just saved your job, Tyler Hero. Now you don't have to pack up for Miami and leave. And I know you've become so fond of it. Next up, Sanders and Rice walk into a bar and can't order a drink. This past Saturday was the first time in 25 years a Rice and Sanders faced off on the football field. Wide receiver Brendan Rice for USC, who is Jerry Rice's son, faced off against QB Shadair Sanders for Colorado, Deion Sanders' son. Star-studded guest list for the event, Included LeBron and his son Bronny, Matthew McConaughey, Jay-Z, Lil Wayne, Will Ferrell, Snoop Dogg, DJ Khaled, just to name a few. Ended up being a great game with the Buffaloes coming back from a 20-point deficit and the total game score reaching 89 points. Any game USC's playing, take the over. You're going to lose some of them. You're going to win the majority of them. They don't play defense, and they score a lot, and Caleb Williams is going to be the number one pick this year in the NFL draft. And probably, if he stays healthy, God, I hope he stays healthy, will be the Heisman winner. And the, uh, the Buffaloes, I, I mean, every game is must-watch television. You don't know what they're going to do. You don't know how they're going to play. They're in these games, except for the Oregon game. Oregon, Oregon's for real, though. But they're keeping all these games close. They're staying in these games. They're not going to win 
all their games. They're going to get a bowl bid probably. But Colorado, fun team to watch. USC, fun team to watch. Rice and Sanders matching up after 25 years. Fun thing to watch. That wraps up a little chaser. It was a little chaser this week. Truly a little chaser. And takes us to my favorite segment of every episode. Now that's cool. On this episode, Ronald Acuna Jr.'s kids steal our hearts. Last week, Braves right fielder Ronald Acuna Jr. set an out-of-this-world MLB single-season record of 40 home runs and 70 steals. They stopped the game. He got a round of applause, takes the base out, holds it high. Now Acuna, not a stranger to records like this, as this year, setting the record for 40 home runs and 60 stolen bases and 40 home runs and 50 stolen bases, as no one has ever knocked 40 home runs and stolen more than 46 bases. The more you know. The highlight, however, and this week's video for Now That's Cool, comes from the post-game interview with Acuna and his two children. If you're watching on YouTube, you're about to see it. If you're listening on the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, check it out on Twitter, at SportsOTRocks. I have the show thread with all the videos from today's show. I love it. Any, I mean, some people are tired of it. Some people, uh, some people trash it. Kids in the post game, always cute. I don't care who you are. Watching a player who you forget these guys because they're at professional athletes and they're, we put them on this pedestal. They're kids. They're kids with families. Acuna's only 25. He's a young dad who's just trying to make a living and support his family. He just so happens to be, you know, once in a lifetime baseball talent. You forget that at the end of the day, they're just people. They're people who love their kids. They love their their spouses. They love their families. And they just want to play the game that they're good at and share it with their families. And that's why this video with Ronald Acuna Jr. and his children postgame after setting his 40-70 record is this week's Now That's Cool. And we'll wrap up today's episode with Last Call. I don't care about the Ryder Cup. This past weekend, the U.S. faced off against Europe in the Ryder Cup. What's the Ryder Cup? Where was it? Where could you watch it? What time was it on? All these are questions that me, as a golf fan, a man who plays golf, a man who loves golf, a man who has favorite golf players, I love Victor Hovland, I love Scotty Scheffler, I love Jean Rahm, they just so happen to be some of the best players, but they're fun to watch. I obviously love Tiger, legend. And I don't know what the fuck is going on with the Ryder Cup. So, let me break it down for you for a little bit. Alternating host cities every two years, the Ryder Cup. This year, the 2023 Ryder Cup was hosted in Italy at Marco Simone Golf and Country Club in Guidonia, Monticello, in Northeast Rome. Beautiful. The imagery was beautiful. The course was beautiful. You could find it on USA Network, Peacock, and NBC, so the NBC umbrella. The schedule was a little weird. Now, obviously, it's across the pond, so we're not getting Eastern time. We're getting European time. So they're roughly six to eight hours ahead. Friday airs on USA Network, 1.30 a.m. to noon. Saturday, 1.30 a.m. to 3 a.m. on USA Network, and then picking back up 3 a.m. to noon on NBC. Then Sunday, it was 5.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. on NBC. 
Now, this might have contributed to people not watching as this year's NBC coverage attracted 1.41 million viewers on average on Saturday and 1.32 million viewers on average on Sunday. Now, this number drops from 2.12 million and 2.47 million, respectively, when the event was played in France in 2018. Now you go, maybe it was the time difference that changed it. No, because in 2018, as I said before, it was played in France. So the time difference was the same. So what contributed to less viewership? They didn't do enough to promote this Ryder Cup. They don't do enough to explain the Ryder Cup to people who aren't diehard fans who would go. Or maybe golf multiple times a week. Or are the type of people who wear golf clothes out. Not just on the golf course. I'm not one of those people. Though the golf clothes are comfy. Now, again, part of not knowing what the hell is going on with the Ryder Cup is not understanding the format. You think golf. Golf is hard enough. Less of a score is a better of a score. Confusing for the average man, average Joe, average woman. Average Josephine. I had to look it up. I know of the Ryder Cup. I don't know how it's played. I don't know how they keep score. The final score didn't even make sense. It was like uh, it was like another language to me. But this is the format. Starts out with four ball. Four ball, each member of a two-man team plays his own ball, so four balls are on, in play on every hole. Each team counts the lowest of its two scores on each hole, and the team whose player has the lowest score wins the hole. If the low scores are tied, the hole is halved. Now we're talking about halves. Next round, foursomes. In foursomes, each two-man team plays one ball per hole with the players taking it turns until each hole is complete. Players alternate hitting tee shots with one leading off on odd numbers holes and the other hitting first on even numbered holes. The team with the low score on each hole wins that hole. If their scores are tied, the hole is halved. A little easier to understand. Guy hits the ball. Next guy hits the next shot. Guy who originally hit the ball hits the next shot until they finish the end. That I understand. Singles, I understand. Guys play each other head-to-head. Match features one player from each team. The player with the lowest score on each hole wins that hole. That's golf. I understand that. If the score is tied at the end of the hole, it's halved. Fine. Here's the scoring. Each match is worth one point. Fine. Match is ending in a tie, half a point. Makes sense. Don't know why you'd say zero if it's tied. Just say zero. Nobody gets a point. But they give halves. First team to reach 14 and a half points wins the Ryder Cup. If the match ends in a 14-14 tie, the team holding the Ryder Cup retains it. I don't know how you don't have a playoff if it's tied. What a waste of time that would have been. Three days of matches, 28 total matches, each of which is worth one point. There are no extra holes in Ryder Cup matches. Should the two sides be tied after 18 holes, each side earns a half a point. The fact that I just had to read that off the internet to explain to you what the Ryder Cup format is, is already why people don't care and don't watch. Then, well, by the, I should say, the U.S. also lost. 16 and a half to 11 and a half. Who cares? Halves, uh, the 16 and a half, 11 and a half. Doesn't make any sense to me. Doesn't mean anything to me. They lost, though. And annoyed that they lost. They should win. But I digress. The Ryder Cup didn't do a good enough job promoting this. I understand the time difference is weird, so they're already like, who's going to watch? Only diehard golf fans are probably watching anyway. We'll eat it. We'll wait till it's at Beth Page, New York in, uh, in 2025. 
uh, or 2026. Not sure when it is. Again, I also don't know when it is. I'm a golf fan. I have no idea. They don't promote this at all. Like, you know, the Super Bowl, the NFL is like, this is where we're holding the, the Super Bowl in three years, you know? Like, they released the schedule for this year's season, like, at the end of last year. They get you excited. The Ryder Cup needed to do a better job saying, boom, we're picking. The coolest part was they kind of picked their own teams. Six players get in based on performance. Six players are picked by the captain of the team, whether it's USA or Europe. So that's exciting. It's kind of like a draft. Maybe turn it into a draft. Make get, Do something. Now, obviously, Europe is more interested in this than we are. It's not our game. But... You want to get the viewership. You want to get us excited. Get us into it. But I was disappointed. I was actually, I was kind of looking forward to the Ryder Cup. And then it came on. The coverage was terrible. I didn't understand the scoring. They didn't do a good job explaining the scoring. Uh, the announcers were terrible. The coverage was, like I said, god awful. It's It happens every two years. Make it exciting. Build it up. Get some promotion. But that's golf. I feel like, you know, as exciting as golf can be, at the end of the day, it's boring as shit. And unless you play it, you you really don't care. Like golf is not a fun sport to watch. A lot of standing around. A lot. You know what we need? We need a pitch clock for golf. Let's get that going. That'll that'll make golf a little bit more exciting. And get rid of these halves in the Ryder Cup. What the what the hell is a half? But some funny content coming out of the tournament, like this old dude, dressed like the KFC Colonel running into one of the pawns on the golf course. And another European player, Shane Lowry, getting upset with a course attendant for being too loud while telling the crowd to quiet down. Stand still, don't move, please. You're making more fucking noise than anyone else. <laughs> now, if you're, again, if you're listening to the podcast only, Go to Twitter, at SportsOTRocks. I'll post the videos there in a thread for today's podcast. But there was something interesting to come out of this tournament. A little bit of contention, if you will. Patrick Cantley getting berated by fans and players for not wearing a hat. It's a very golf story. But basically, the teams all wear a hat that represents their team. A lot of talk about why he wasn't wearing the hat. Uh, Some saying... Potentially, it was a protest due to lack of pay for players and caddies. But it ends up being because his wedding is the next week and he didn't want to have a stupid fucking hat tan. Which is the most relatable thing a golf player has ever done. So that comes out after. But during, obviously, hat gate, as they were calling it, there's an incident between Patrick Cantley's caddy, Joe LaCava, where... Everybody takes off their hats. They wave it at the crowd. They clap. Yay. We're happy. Apparently, Rory McIlroy wasn't happy about this. And he gets in LaCava's face. And we don't know what was said. They never say what was said. But LaCava is like old school Long Island guy. Has his hat off and kind of gets in Rory's face. And you could see him with the lip reading being like, you know, get the fuck out of here. Go fucking do your own shit. Da, 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 da. But then Rory's on the ground, and he's looking at his putt, doing his thing, and and Joe is still yelling at him. So this is a big ordeal. How could you do this? You're ruining the integrity of golf. You never talk while a guy's looking at grass, blah, 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 blah. Again, why nobody gives a shit about 
live golf or the Ryder Cup. This is this is the hottest news that came out of the Ryder Cup. We still don't know really what happened. We don't know if when him waving the hat was because you know uh, fans and and European players were waving uh, hats at at them when they fucked up on a hole. Um, so then when he they played a hole well, he took off his hat and kind of mocked them, and maybe that's what Rory was getting in their face about. But this is what golf gives us. I can't imagine why viewership is down. The Ryder Cup, though, needs to do a better job of promoting itself. I'm a golf fan. I would love to see the game grow in America. I'd love to see more people get excited about it. And I don't even know what the score is or what the points is or what the format is, but I'd like to see America win. It's what we do best. And I'm looking forward to the next Ryder Cup at Bethpage in New York, and maybe I'll attend. And I have enough time to figure out how the format works until then. And the coverage will probably be a little better because it'll be on our coast, Eastern Time. So you can watch it at normal hours. And that about wraps up today's episode of Sports on the Rocks with Ken Larimer. Today was October 3rd, 2023. I was your host, Ken Larimer. If you love the podcast, please like, follow, and subscribe on YouTube. Throw me some comments. Let me know what you thought, what your favorite segment was, what your favorite bit was, what your favorite take was. If you want to follow along with me on Twitter, I always post lots of content, betting tips, betting picks, at SportsOTRocks. I'm going to start posting short betting videos and clips from the podcast on TikTok, so please make sure to follow at SportsOTRocks on TikTok. Like me on Facebook. I don't know if it matters anymore, but do it anyway. And also, like me on Instagram, where I'll also be posting some reels that I'll be sharing from YouTube to TikTok to Instagram. Great content coming. But thanks for tuning in again today, Tuesday, October 3rd, 2023. I'm Ken Larimer. This was Sports on the Rocks with Ken Larimer. And I'll see you next time. Don't forget to tip your bartenders. Thank you.